We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Cyber Monday, November 27, 2023. We all hope that you find those awesome deals on tech today. I already did as I'm upgrading the old podcast laptop for the 2024 season. I'm pretty excited about that. But while we do some personal shopping, there was a little lull in activity for Major League Baseball, but it picked up slightly before Thanksgiving as Seattle and Arizona made a swap that sees Eugenio Suarez join the Diamondbacks. And late Sunday night, the Detroit Tigers signed right-handed starter Kenta Maeda from the Minnesota Twins to a two-year, $24 million contract. Next week is the winter meetings in Nashville. We expect activity to pick up and the White Sox should be busy. In this episode, we'll take a look at the trade markets for both Dylan Cease and Eloy Jimenez. Which teams could offer the best returns? We'll discuss that shortly, but let's welcome in the managing editor of SoxMachine.com, the co-host of the podcast. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. How was your Thanksgiving? Uh, Nice and quiet. Can't complain. Food was good. Uh... Pretty low stress, so I will take it. How was yours? Pretty good. Pretty good. Went to the wife's aunt's. She does an excellent job cooking Thanksgiving. However, uh, I think like half the people that were invited uh, could not make it. Uh, one side of the family, the flu is passing around, and I am very thankful that they did not attend Thanksgiving because what I am receiving mm-hmm. in the family group chat about what they are suffering no, thank you. <laughs> I don't need that uh, type of flu, that type of mess at all. So pretty low key. Uh, food was great. And I hope everyone that's listening to this, you guys had a very uneventful, but very happy Thanksgiving as we press on through the baseball off season. And some AL Central news, as I mentioned, the intro, Jim, Kenta Maeda signing a two-year, $24 million contract. He's going to leave the Minnesota Twins, and he's going to go to the Detroit Tigers. What are your thoughts about that signing from Detroit? I think it's a pretty good deal for Detroit. Like, 
Maeda is not without his risks, needs to be carefully managed or at least thoughtfully managed when it comes to his workload. And there are some questions about like, you know, how deep in the games can he go? And he was part of the problem, I think, with the twins when they got in that rut of only being able to get like five innings from every one of their starters and like asking their bullpen to do way too much. But when he's healthy and fully like capable of, you know, missing bats uh, and, and throwing that quality five innings like he's very useful for a staff and I think the White Sox and Tigers are shopping a little bit in the same territory uh, especially with Eduardo Rodriguez out like the White Sox could justify signing Rodriguez so could the Tigers White Sox could justify signing Maeda to that deal because they need starters and so could the Tigers so I am watching them a little bit in this market to see what they do what prices they are you know, I, I, I guess what's what, what prices they strike with free agents because they're not really forced to do anything. Uh, it's, you know, it's a shifting talk. And strikes me as like a pretty good deal, not like a, a cure-all. Like they need a lot more help with their pitching staff or a lot more luck uh, with the health that they've had the last couple of years with their starters. But assuming Maeda has passed the worst of it with Tommy John and everything, like he should be able to help. Yeah. Again, when you look at the Tigers, you go to baseballreference.com and you look – at their starting rotation, who led the team in starts. It was Eduardo Rodriguez with 26 starts. Then it goes to Joey Wentz, Michael Lorenzen, they traded at the deadline. Reese Olsen, who had a pretty productive season, age 23, sub-4 ERA, just barely at 3.99. And then Tarek Skubal, which we know that he's uber-talented, but there are some injury risks there. And the same thing with Matt Manning as well. And they still have Matthew Boyd and Alex Fado that they can go through. So the, the Tigers here, as far as their starting rotation, signing Maeda, I think is a solid move on their part. And their rotation can be solid if everyone stays healthy. There is some injury risk going on here for Detroit. And for Detroit's rebuild, we've heard about for so long, Jim, the excellent talent that they have accumulated especially when it comes to the pitching front. And these guys are talented. There's no doubt about it, but they struggle to stay on the field. And that's where mm -hmm. I'm wondering when I'm looking at the Detroit Tigers right now, obviously there's a lot of offseason left to go, but if they don't bring back Eduardo Rodriguez, I think they're going to face the same problem that a lot of teams are having in the American League Central for this upcoming season. Who's going to pitch 100 innings for your team? Mm -hmm. You have a lot of guys that could make starts, but who can you count on every fifth day to take the ball and make that start for you and go five or six innings? I think Kenta Maeda is great if your goal is give us 25 starts, five innings per start. We need 125 innings from you for the contract that we signed. If Maeda does that for Detroit, Jim, I think this signing is going to work out well for the Detroit Tigers, but they still have some work to do as far as addressing their starting rotation to provide more stability. And again, re-signing Eduardo Rodriguez would go a long way doing that. Yeah, it's kind of like the Cardinals to me, uh, signing Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson. It does stabilize the roster to a certain degree, the rotation to a certain degree, but also like it's not the top end type performance that you can get that can maybe mask a weak fourth starter or a weak fifth starter. Like you're counting if like Lynn and Gibson and Maeda are your main guys, then you're really counting on everybody else stepping up and being like at least a number three or a number four and not really having those number five through sixes and, and so forth that just, uh, 
ultimately provide nothing. Like number fives are great when you have a number one uh, who's providing like the the high quality and then you just need somebody to get through a day. But uh, the Tigers need a little bit more, especially with the offense that they have. Like their offense showed some signs of life in pockets last year, but it was still one of the worst units in the American League. So if you're going to counter that and say like our pitching is strength, then it really has to be a strength in order to cover for what is a pretty disappointing offense, especially the infield. They're stuck with Javier Baez. Still don't know if Spencer Torkelson is like a plus player or kind of like just maybe a rich man's Andrew Vaughn in some way is like more extreme with the power, but also just not offering a whole lot. You're not offering the well-rounded hitting capabilities, whereas Vaughn's maybe a more well-rounded hitter, but doesn't provide the power. Like between the two of them, you could probably get an awesome hitter and somebody who maybe tops out a double A if you, uh, if, if the skills break the wrong way. So I, you know, I, I think the Tigers definitely have more. Uh, it's kind of like an out of order deal to where like not the last thing they needed not the first thing they needed so let's see what they do with the rest of their winter before saying might is any good if it's like the somehow ends up being like their main pitching addition then i think you are free to be underwhelmed but i could see it being a like maybe a third move in a very successful offseason so you know they, they've bolstered themselves a little bit it does raise questions in what the minnesota twins are doing because they're they lo- they're losing Maeda. We assume they're going to lose Sonny Gray. They still have, obviously, Pablo Lopez, and they got Joe Ryan. So you have the makings, at least, to have a pretty— Bailey Ober. A Bailey Ober. So, like, one through three, you're okay. But you you still need to fill out the rest of the starting rotation. And you're cutting payroll to, like, $140 million after winning the division and winning your first playoff series since Johan Santana— uh, was with the team. So it does raise a lot of questions with Maida now moving from Minnesota to Detroit, where maybe it moves Detroit closer to Minnesota just because the Twins may not be doing anything this offseason. Mm-hmm. They just might be losing out and they may have to really rely on their offense that Royce Lewis picks up his play again, hits another level. He certainly was awesome in the postseason. Byron Buxton, he figures out his health issues and stays on the field. And Carlos Correa has a more consistent season. I mean, offensively, the Twins could scare you. But on the starting pitching front, throughout the entire division, there are some big questions on how these teams are going to get through a 162-game season in 2024. Again, there's a lot of offseason left to go. But the starting pitching market, Jim, is where everybody's keeping an eye on right now because the position players, you know, outside of Shohei Otani and maybe Cody Bellinger and, and Matt Chapman, there's not a whole lot going on at the position player front. Like Yoshinobu Yamamoto has posted, so the window is open, and that activity needs to pick up because he needs to decide on a new team within 45 days of the window opening, and I think he's got like 40 days left before he has to make a decision of which team he's going to sign in the majors. And then we're expecting to hear from Otani as far as an update on his status, whether it's this week or next week in Nashville during the winter meetings. So activity is definitely going to pick up, but in the American league central, at least Detroit made a move. I don't know Mm -hmm. about the other teams in this division, if they're going to participate in this mid tier starting pitching free agency market, but with the types of contracts that we have seen, if Jerry Reinsdorf wants to spend some money and if the White Sox want to improve the starting rotation, 
I think the market set this two years, $24 million seems to be the value for this particular tier of the pitchers like Lynn, Kyle Gibson and Kenta Maeda. And the White Sox will get their money's worth. That's a case of just, you need guys to fill in starts. You need guys to protect like the Nick Nostrini's and the Christian Mena's of the system and not require them to be thrown into the fire earlier than they need to be. So yeah, it might seem unnecessary for like if the White Sox have no uh, ambitions for the uh, the top of the central that like why spend any money at all. But I think starting pitching is basically where you can make the best argument for spending money just because of all the downstream effects it has. Like um, not, not only like when it comes to protecting pitchers, but also like shortening games, requiring less from relievers, uh, putting that glove first middle infield that they've built to use. Like it all kind of, uh, you know, if you're going to go all the in all the way with infield defense, then you may as well get some pitchers who can accommodate that as well. And not just, you know, throw a bunch of like Jesse Schultons is out there or Jesse Schultons and, uh, expect them to be like oh we got better infielders so he should be able to go five or six Tuki tucson same thing like may as well just go all in on making the games as short as possible you know looking at the top of the division though and saying like yeah this could be the one team actually doing something and the twins cutting and such and like the fact that the white Sox aren't aren't not only like not in the mix, you know, like they should be well above this division based on how carefully they arranged everything to be at the top of this given window. And the fact that they aren't even like thinking about competing because of all the work they have to be done makes me want to fire Rick Hahn all over again. <laughs> He's already fired. Like, I, think they should just, fire I know they should hire him and fire him again. Just <laughs> <laughs> Kenny Williams too, like both of them. Like it really yeah. is a pathetic failure. It is. I mean, we could talk more about what the White Sox should do. But let's talk about what the White Sox are probably going to do, which is the opposite of what Jim and I think that they should do. And let's talk about Dylan Cease's trade market. We both said this in a recent podcast that we think that Dylan Cease is going to get traded before the winter meetings. That's this week. So let's see if we're right. And if we're a few days late because Chris Getz can't pull the trigger or can't get Jerry Reinsdorf's approval on a trade until the winter meetings when they meet face-to-face with other teams' executives, okay, then we're a few days late on that prediction. But it just sounds like even Bob Nightingale is saying, like, there's a 90% chance Dylan Cease is going to get traded. It just seems like a foregone conclusion from everyone nationwide that reports on the sport that Dylan Cease is getting traded this offseason. He's not even going to make it an opening day with the White Sox. Now, Jim, the question that I have is we enter in this topic of what we would like the White Sox to receive in a Dylan Cease trade. So we're making this fatal flaw when you're covering baseball. We're trying to first guess on what the White Sox would possibly get. That's the beauty of covering baseball during the offseason. But Jim, if you were consulting Chris Gatz and Chris looked at you and pointed at you and said, what do we need back in a trade from Dylan Cease? What are those types of players that they need back? First, I would say pay me. Uh, <laughs> I <would> say, um, <laughs> First of all, hire Rick Hahn and fire him again. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, I would say outfield talent like when you look at what the white Sox don't have they have infielders you can probably 
I'm not sold on Colson Montgomery as a shortstop. Like I would say he's more likely to be somewhere else besides shortstop just because it was pretty bad this last year. But I am open to the idea that the back problems, the oblique problems might have created some bad habits or things he was protecting in a full healthy offseason. If it is just muscular and nothing structural in nature, he could get back to being a little bit more athletic than he showed out there a little smoother. And he's back to being like a bat for a shortstop. And okay, so like... Between him, Brian Ramos at third, a whole bunch of candidates at second, both who they just acquired and who's been around like Jose Rodriguez and Lenin Sosa and whatnot. Outfield still looks like a mess. And especially with Oscar Colas, just really not hearing anything about him at all. Like not hearing about him being a He's part of He's working out with Luis plans. Robert. Yeah, and you know that's there's some controversy to that because he was supposed to play winter ball and Pedro Grifols like, He's got to play winter ball and... and uh, Colas apparently said like hell I am and you know Getz is like well there's value to both and I really don't know what to make of it if it just like um, you know I, I don't know who's in charge I also don't know like if Colas doesn't respect uh, Griffol's authority because like Griffol like only managed Colas and like Corey Lee and Gregory Santos and then that's about it everybody else like you more or less on their own or it could be a case of like Chris Getz not really caring what Patrick Rafal thinks and being like, yeah, it's, we're, you know, Colossus will be here longer than he will. So it's more about, uh, you know, prioritizing who are the mainstays here or, or more of a mainstay. So I really don't know what to make of that. But, you know, you don't hear like Marcus Thames talking about like how to fix Oscar Colossus. He's not really front of mind for everybody. It's more along the lines to me of like if he bounces back and rediscovers his stock, then he's then good for the White Sox, almost like found money in a certain regard, which is kind of a, a steep fall from the guy who was like the number two prospect in the system last year. All of a sudden, one year, just completely writing him off or being like, I don't care. So it's, uh, you know, th- that whole situation is curious to me uh, because I just don't know who to believe or who's on whose side. Uh, but, you know, beyond him, like kind of a mess like they're you know the, the prospect list isn't really helping out in that regard the haul from the first couple moves not really helping out um you know they have some guys who can maybe play center and hustle a little bit there you know you have some on base skills like Terrell Tatum and, and Jacob Burke but also not really home run power and are they platoon bats are they fringe center fielders like hard to say so really just like you know the reason we'd both thought like Kevin Kiermaier made some sense. It's like Luis Robert gets hurt again. What the hell is the outfield? Like, what are you going to do uh, left, right, and center? Uh, you know, why is Andrew Benintendi around like for this iteration of the White Sox? Like he was supposed to be there for a win now effort. And now he's just biding his time. So they really need like a next idea of what the outfield will be with or without Luis Robert, hopefully with, uh, I don't really see a, a point in trading him, but uh, yeah, I, I think they need some kind of, help double a or higher for just like who's going to be joining montgomery and ramos and whoever in the outfield to fill out this roster not make it a a case of like we have half a roster again and we have limited funds to solve that yeah i do think that the white Sox need to acquire a major league baseball ready starting pitcher or outfielder jim like if you're going to trade dylan cease to your point i totally agree with you We have no idea who's playing right field. Like when I make the 26 man roster and I give the projected budget, the right fielder is Gavin Sheets. No, cannot be Gavin Sheets as your starting right fielder. I don't care, but the videos he's posting of his work in the cage. I've seen him defensively for years now trying to play right field. He's not a right fielder at all. 
So you need to still figure out who is starting in right field for the 2024 season. And if you do trade Dylan Cease, that also punches a huge hole into your starting rotation where there's a lot of questions on how you're even going to get through a 162-game season because while you have acquired some interesting starting pitching prospects, they're still prospects or they're trying to bounce back from serious injury to get back to what they were. As a tiger show. Yeah. So if you trade Dylan Cease, then you really don't have anyone uh, within your organization that you can trust to make 30 starts in 2024. So I try to come up with some ideas using the baseball trade value calculator. Now you can go ahead and make fun of that tool as much as you want. I agree with a lot of people when they say the value sometimes just don't seem to be on par, but at least they've got a formula and they stick with it. I don't have the time to try to figure out what the surplus value is for every major leaguer and every minor leaguer. So for the baseball trade value guys, I value your effort in trying to create a tool to help spur conversation and ideas like the one that we're going to go through right now. So you can make fun of all the trade ideas that I am coming up with, Jim, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to walk through what I think are the five teams realistically are calling Chris Getz right now and asking about Dylan C's and those five teams. Let's start there. One, we know the Dodgers, the Dodgers are either trying to get Dylan C's or Tyler glass. Now to the Atlanta Braves. Now, funny thing. You didn't hear much about the Braves guys coming to the white Sox talking about the front office, but Kyle Wright gets traded to Kansas city. And he tells the Atlanta journal constitution that the Braves front office have a number from above, which is, again, they are publicly owned. So I'm uh, I'm actually an Atlanta Braves shareholder. I own two stocks <laughs> in the Atlanta Braves. So I guess you could consider me a minority owner of the Atlanta Braves, Jim. And what Kyle Wright told the Atlanta Journal-Constitution is a big reason why you've seen the Braves make all these moves is that they have to slash payroll. Which is fascinating because, on the other hand, what we heard is that they were serious about signing Aaron Nola and beating what the Philadelphia Phillies offered to Aaron Nola. So that's where it's a little bit of confusion there, what Kyle Wright is mentioning. But let's say if Kyle Wright is right and the Atlanta Braves are cutting payroll, but they're still trying to build a team to win the World Series, then Dylan Cease makes all the sense in the world because he still has two years of arbitration and shoot, you probably can get Dylan Cease cheaper than the two years, $24 million over the next couple of years than what uh, the Tigers just signed Kenta Maeda for. So I got the Dodgers. I have the Orioles going back to the midseason trade ideas. The Mets, which is interesting. It sounds like in Queens that they might be kicking the tires. And of course, the Baltimore Orioles. I don't know if the Orioles are interested, Jim. I think they should be interested and based on their spending habits, Dylan Cease kind of fits right in with what they currently have right now, what they're building. So those are the five teams that I've came up with hypotheticals for again, the Orioles, the Dodgers, the Reds, the Mets, and the Braves, any team that I'm leaving out. Okay, the Reds. Should... I think you mentioned Orioles twice. Oh, did I? <laughs> I think you said Orioles twice. So I think the Reds filled it in. So yeah. So yeah, again, there we go. I think we're back. Yeah. Orioles, Dodgers, Reds, Mets, and Braves. Am I missing anyone? No, actually, that's that's pretty close to uh, what the uh, 
MLB trade rumors, Nick Deeds, he wrote a couple of good posts about Dylan Cease trade, um, trade matches, uh, Eloy Jimenez trade matches. And he said Braves, Cardinals, Diamondbacks, Dodgers, Orioles, Rays, and Reds. And I thought like the Cardinals are kind of in a, a strange okay. spot because they feel like a good match in some regards for the White Sox because they have all those outfielders who are not quite clicking for them. Like I'm thinking like in the Dylan Carlson type realm or Tyler O'Neill hasn't been great. I don't think for them, like they've had some, that's part of the reason why they're disappointing is their outfielder outfield hasn't quite come together. And when you see them losing, uh, Adelis Garcia and you see them losing, uh, Randy Rosarena, like they've interested me in that regard for like, maybe they're just not evaluating their own talent the way that they used to. Like maybe like Moselleck has lost his way a little bit. Maybe there are some guys who can shake loose from that organization that might, help out a little bit and it just to me it seems like Dylan Cease is maybe too high of a price to pay for buying low it seems like they're selling medium on Cease but buying low on whoever the Cardinals can afford to part with if they are still fashioning themselves as a contender like if they were looking at moving Nolan Nolan Gorman or Jordan Walker or something like that uh, both of them are yeah, I think showed enough and are both too young to really give up on. Yeah, I, I think they produce enough and they have enough weaknesses elsewhere to where, um, yeah, they they wouldn't want to let those guys go. Mason Wynn, another guy who didn't click right away and could fit in with the White Sox plans. They have some matches. I just don't quite know what they fashion themselves as with their 2023 ambitions. But like if Cease were like in the last year of his contract, I could see the Cardinals making a lot of sense for who they have and who the White Sox might be able to use just to get something of value with guys with team control. If they just need a change of scenery, they could be very valuable. Yeah, that's a good point. But I'm going to leave the Cardinals off right now because I just don't think that they can pull together an offer for Dylan Cease that would entice me to take that offer if I'm playing GM as the Chicago White Sox over the five teams that I've listed. Starting my hypothetical trade ideas for Dylan Cease, I'm going to start with the Los Angeles Dodgers. So again, using the baseball trade value calculator, this is what I have the White Sox acquiring from Los Angeles. Right-hander pitcher Evan Sheehan, outfielder Andy Pajes, outfielder Johnny DeLuca, and left-handed reliever Brian Hudson. So Evan Sheehan last year made 11 starts with the Dodgers had a 4.92 ERA in a little more than 60 innings pitched, just a 1.19 whip. He's a four-seam slider changeup guy. The slider and changeup were league average last year. The four-seamer was below league average in production terms, minus four runs below average. The positives, when you look at his expected stats, and if I'm Brian Bannister, if I'm working for Brian Bannister, I'm looking at these two numbers from Baseball Savant. The expected batting average against Emmett Sheehan last year was just 187, and his expected ERA was 3.5. But the concerns are his walk rate was 10.5%, so much like Dylan Cease, and the hard hit rate was 42%. So 42% of the time, opposing hitters had an exit velocity greater than 95 miles per hour against Emmett Sheehan. So there's some work to be done if the White Sox hypothetically were to acquire Sheehan, they would need to work on that fastball to miss more barrels. Andy Pajes, the sixth-ranked prospect of the Dodgers system, 60-grade in-game power, 60-grade throwing arm. The concern is that he tore his labrum in his left shoulder on May 16th 
So he only played in 33 games last year, but he hit 284, 430 on base percentage, and slugged 495. And last year in Double A, 132 games, pretty young for the level. Paez hit 236 with a 336 on base percentage and slugged 468. So the power is there as he had 26 homers in 2022 in AA with 29 doubles. Johnny DeLuca, he played 42 games last year for the Dodgers. He had 262 with a 311 on base percentage and slugged 429. He probably would stick it right field for the White Sox to start an opening day. It is not sexy. But in AAA last year, he had seven homers and 35 RBIs, and he had 306, 397 on base percentage and slugged 548. So maybe there's more in the bat than what we saw in 42 games last year with the Dodgers. But I trust Johnny DeLuca to play right field more than I do Gavin Sheets. And Brian Hudson from Godfrey, Illinois. If you know your geography for Illinois well, Godfrey's just outside of St. Louis. He got beat up last year, but he had a 2.43 ERA in AAA in 46 games with 86 strikeouts and 55 innings. So he could compete for that opening left behind with Aaron Bummer being traded to the to the Atlanta Braves. Jim, what are your thoughts on my hypothetical trade with the Dodgers for Dylan Cease? I don't think it's a, a bad idea. I think they have a few different guys you can swap in, like whether it's like you know, with, with Sheehan, like there's also Gavin Stone, there's also Ryan Pepiot, there's, there are a couple other guys who might be, you know, uh, Michael Grove, another one, uh, that can be either swapped into the Dodgers plans and therefore are expendable in other fronts, or like the White Sox might be interested in more for one reason or another. But I think they make a lot of sense because they have a few different guys to select from. Pa has, yeah, he's, uh, well, one, he's Cuban, so you would think like Marco Patti knows a little bit about him uh, just from scouting and being like, well, you know, he, he's uh, younger. He signed when he was like 17, so he's uh, younger than the Cubans that Marco Patti's allowed to sign. But you think he, at least from his networking and uh, from the comfort with which he signs Cuban players, you would think that he would at least have some intel about him as to like how well regarded he was coming up um you know what he showed with the dodgers before his labrum uh injury which was not to his non-throwing shoulder so he has the arm to play right and that doesn't seem to affect his throwing so i think that's key in terms of maintaining his value i like you know you mentioned i think everybody would like him better because he'd be a top 100 prospect if he were healthy but it would be a risk i think in buying low just because like the white Sox have a bad history of uh acquiring guys who are hurt or end, end the year hurts and coming back and having a hard time rediscovering what they had. Uh, Jake Eater, I think is probably the most recent example of like, doesn't seem like his arm strength is all the way back. And will he get it back or did the White Sox uh, uh, swing and miss a little bit in terms of like expecting him to bounce back from Tommy John surgery? That's, I think, my only concern. But in terms of like the profile, I think he has that upside to where like maybe it does require since Cease is not like a Cy Young finalist this time around, um, he might require a, a buying low a little bit and hoping that you're actually catching the stock at the right time and not just buying a depressed price because he sold as is. So I think it's my concern, but I think like if you're going for upside in a return for Dylan Cease, it does have to require like a little bit of faith or finger crossing or um, our information is better than your information or we just happen to be on the right side of a numbers game because we don't have talent and we have plenty of plate appearances and uh, all the forgiveness in the world for somebody with real 
corner outfield talent or real middle infield talent or real starting pitching talent to find their footing. Kind of like what Nick Nestrini said, uh, with the Dodgers, I don't know how I'd get to the majors. With the White Sox, I got all the time in the world. This is great. And I think it would require that kind of attitude from somebody like Pajas as well. Let's move over to the Braves. So what I have for the Braves here, and again, the top seven prospects for the Atlanta Braves as they have traded a lot of their top prospects in recent years to Oakland to acquire Matt Olson and Sean Murphy. Those trades have worked out really well for the Atlanta Braves. But for the Braves, I have right-handed pitcher A.J. smith Shaver, uh, right-handed pitcher that they just drafted from the University of Florida. For those that follow the college baseball coverage that we do on SoxMachine.com, this is a name you may be familiar with, Hurston Waldrip. And Ignacio Alvarez, a third baseman. And there's also an opportunity here to maybe grab someone from their DSL, one of the 17, 18-year-olds that are part of the international pipeline for the Atlanta Braves. as one of the, like, the lottery tickets that I was thinking of. And again, with the Braves, any deal with Dylan Cease to Atlanta, the White Sox, this would be pitching-minded again. Very much like the one that they just did with Aaron Bummer, I guess, with the exception of Nicky Lopez being the starting second baseman for the White Sox. Like, Smith Shaver, just 21 years old, he made five starts of the majors, so he reached the majors, four-pitch pitcher, four-seamer, slider, curve, changeup. The changeup was actually pretty impressive, according to Baseball Savant. When you look at the data, the slider could use some more work. The breaking stuff could just use overall more work, but... He's so young. He's 21 years old, and he is already pitched in the major. So he might be ready to go. He might be able to win a spot in the White Sox starting rotation in 2024. Hurston Waldrip, the Braves just rushed him through every level of the system after they drafted him. Waldrip made an appearance in A ball, high A, double A, and triple A. And in those eight starts, he went 29 innings. He had 41 strikeouts. Yes, there are some reliever risk here. But Waldrip, especially with the split fastball and slider combination, I think could be a starting pitcher in the major leagues. I would not be rushing him up the system like the Atlanta Braves were. But again, they were in contention and maybe they thought, hey, Waldrip could possibly help us out in the bullpen if we need some reliever help because he's got some enticing stuff. So they gave it a shot. And Ignacio Alvarez is 20 years old in high A last year. He had 284 with a 395 on base percentage. Uh, so this is a guy, not a lot of power, just like 391, but bat to ball, great walk rate, viewed as a super utility guy that could play around the infield, a type of player the White Sox will be identifying and either signing or drafting under Chris Getz, at least with the strategy that they have made publicly known. And then we'll see what you can get for an international lottery ticket. But Jim, when it comes to the Atlanta Braves, I think this is the best that you can do in a possible deal with the Braves, and I know it's not sexy, but it is very pitching forward. And even with the trades the White Sox have already made, they need more pitching. I think I might be more open to it if they just didn't acquire five guys from the Atlanta Braves. And if you acquire like three more from the Atlanta Braves, that's putting a lot <laughs> of your offseason uh, in one basket and hoping like that you really have this team's number in terms of getting – productive players from them when really the Braves might be in a little bit of a 
in between studs and duds mode to where their lineup is set and their pitching staff is largely set, but they have graduated all their prospects. So they're kind of in between and have some 40 man roster crunches to deal with. So they're more or less shedding guys. And also, as you mentioned with Kyle, Wright, Like they could be just like looking to, you know, get rid of unnecessary salary in some regards. So it would make me nervous having that many Braves prospects. I think the other thing is with Waldrip, it'd be a little bit of like, they could have drafted him the year before uh, or just like, yeah, mm-hmm. they, they drafted Jacob Gonzalez. And um, yeah, I guess on one hand you're thinking like, whoa, it's like we drafted both Waldrop and Gonzalez. On the other hand, like the, the way Gonzalez has not impressed early on and almost feels like they're doing it over and being like, Oh no, we made a mistake. We want Waldrop instead. And that also would be like an unexciting return in terms of like, why don't you just draft him? And instead of like settling for like the very conservative, middle infielder because you really over scout old miss and you really needed walks and you really want to cut down strikeouts. And he presented the best combination of all three without wondering like what he actually does or what, what tools of his game will actually hold up as he goes up the ladder. So that's, I think what makes me nervous about a Braves return um, that maybe would have made me as nervous uh, before the Aaron bummer trade, but that's just a lot of Braves. It's a lot of Braves. It's a lot of Braves. We're going to continue my hypothetical trades for Dylan Cease after a quick word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. 
Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast as we continue my hypothetical trade ideas with Dylan Cease going to other teams. We talked about the Los Angeles Dodgers. We talked about the Atlanta Braves. Now let's ponder a Cincinnati Reds trade. And no, not Jonathan India. So you're one of your faves from the athletic Jim Bowden uh, in a chat, I think, or an email response uh, said that the White Sox would be crazy. They did not accept the trade if the Reds offered Jonathan India and a recent draftee, Ty Floyd, a right-handed pitcher from LSU in a hypothetical trade. And boy, that doesn't even pass the sniff test of the baseball trade value calculator. Uh, yeah, not Jonathan India. So I'll, I'll preference that, uh, not Jonathan India, because I just don't know what you do with Jonathan India now after mm-hmm. you sign Paul DeYoung and traded for Nicky Lopez. Like, I, I just don't see a need for Jonathan India on the Chicago White Sox. Yeah, you're going from like a an unexciting but cohesive or, you know, um, a, a plan you can comprehend in that like, oh, we're just going for middle infield defense, if nothing else. And there may be nothing else, but at least you know what you're going to get and you know how it could improve other players on the roster and make the product more watchable or at least more bearable, even if like Lopez hits as well as he usually does and DeYoung continues to just not find anything besides the occasional home run. So uh, you get that, but India is kind of another guy who, you know, what does he do well? Uh, you know, why would the Reds want to move him when they're still like in a delicate spot of the rebuild? Like we heard about him last year, like potentially, potentially being moved after Ellie De La Cruz came up and there being a little bit of debate with, you know, can they afford to lose his leadership? And yeah, how important is he? And like Nick Senzel, he's not quite uh, going to pan out as a, was he a second overall pick? Um, That, you know, that with Senzel going out first, there's still room for India, but now as other guys are maybe coming up, like India's just forced out and kind of an odd fit. And like, if he's an odd fit for that team, when theoretically they should be playing all the proven guys that they have because they have real NL central ambitions, like, it does feel like, uh, you know, you're doing the Reds a big favor by you know, taking a guy they kind of need to move uh, if they really need to you know, open up playing time for somebody they could really need. Uh, and a guy that be, you would figure could be outbid by uh, other teams with somebody more uh, both talented, uh, yeah, I guess in terms of obvious tools, uh, and around for longer than India will be. So, yeah, I did not get that at all, but I really don't get Jim Bowden's <laughs> employment at all. I know you do. Especially at the uh, <laughs> at the expense of other athletic baseball voices who were like, you know, let go last summer. Yeah, yeah. So with the Reds, here's my idea, and it kind of mirrors with the Los Angeles Dodgers. So what the White Sox I would have receiving, let's go with the not sexy names. Right, field, right fielder Jake Fraley, which I think he's going to be like their fourth outfielder because they have more enticing outfielders. But he's a solid player. According to MLB trade rumors, his projected arbitration total is $2.2 million. He's 29 years old. He played 111 games last year for the Reds at 256 with a 339 on base percentage and slugged 443. Again, it's not sexy with 15 homers and 18 doubles, but man... That would be an improvement for the White Sox at right field. He also does bat left-handed. Other positives, low strikeout rate, 18.7%. A good walk rate, 9.7%. He's got good range in right field, three outs above average. And 
he is not exactly fleet of foot, but he's not slow. He averages 28 feet per second in sprint speed. So the White Sox would get someone that's a little bit more athletic as well. It can help out of the base paths. Uh, the concerns, weak average exit velocity. His average exit velocity was 84.6 miles per hour which obviously lowers his expected slug to 399. And we know the penalty whenever the White Sox acquire someone. So I'm sure Jake Fraley, if this trade were to go through, would probably slug like 350 while playing right field for the White Sox and be worth half a win. Uh, Connor Phillips is the starting pitcher that the White Sox would acquire in this hypothetical big-time velocity. He can hit 99, but he averaged at 96 miles per hour with the four-seamer, and he's a slider. And curveball not so much a changeup. so he really leans heavily on the fastball and slider right now got beat up in the majors in 2023 6.97 era but he did get 26 strikeouts and a little more than 20 innings pitched as right-handers really beat up on phillips's four-seam fastball they had 292 and they select 792 against connor phillips but he made it to the majors and again he could be part of this mix of the white competing for a starting job with the white Sox. Here's where I think the get would be in a deal with Cincinnati is Sal Stewart. Now, Sal Stewart is currently 19. He turns 20 on December 7th. He was the 32nd overall pick in 2022. He's currently playing third base. He's 6'3", about 215 pounds, so he's a big third baseman. But last year, in 88 games in A-ball at 19 years old, he had 269, a .395 on base percentage. And he slugged just 424. He had 10 homers. And when he got promoted to high A, Stewart hit 291 with a 397 on base percentage and slugged below 400 at 391. Now, I'm wondering because of the age, that's why we're not seeing a lot of power from Sal Stewart, Jim. But in combined both levels last mm-hmm. year, Stewart had 84 walks to 77 strikeouts. And something that I've had conversations with, like with Jim Callis, because he's been obviously covering prospects for so long. It's starting to like people are having this group thinking that you can't teach on base skills. Either a batter understands what the strike zone is or they don't. It's really tough for hitters to improve their ability to draw walks or find ways to get on base. If that holds true, and you can't help hitters immensely improve their walkability. And we sure as hell know the White Sox couldn't under the Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn regime. If you acquire someone like Stewart, who is so young at 20 years old and is in high A, and is demonstrating that ability to get on base, which is something that Josh Barfield and Chris Getz both mentioned that they're going to be looking for, this is another guy that you can dream on that helps identify that need and start developing those types of players. So doesn't help you in the short term, but could definitely help you as far as in the long term. So that's where Sal Stewart is the most interesting part of the return. And the throw in would be Logan Tanner. He's a catcher for those that cover, watch, follow the draft. He's the catcher from Mississippi State a couple years ago that I had a draft crush before he could not hit a baseball. He still cannot hit a baseball, but Logan Tanner still has one of the strongest throwing arms behind the plate in minor league baseball, and he's getting rave reviews for his ability to handle pitching staff and his ability to block behind home plate. So he's a defensive-minded catcher. He might be elite defensively. He just can't hit for a lick. So I don't know if he's got a future in the major leagues, but the White Sox can use more catchers. 
So with Cincinnati, I don't think you get like the immediate need like an Emmett Sheehan would provide to the White Sox starting rotation. Sure, Jake Freely can help resolve right field. Not a sexy addition. But just like with the Dodgers, you do get someone that you could dream on long term in Sal Stewart. Your thoughts about this hypothetical deal with Cincinnati, Jim? Well, I, independent of like trading Cease for him and like him being a big part, like I am intrigued by Jake Fraley just because he is a lefty who can elevate the ball. Uh, sorry, Great American Ballpark, maybe the one park uh, that's. Uh, at sea level, I should say, that consistently plays better than guaranteed right field for hitter friendliness, home run friendliness, especially for left-handed bats. So I like the idea of Fraley, if he can be like just, if he's on the wrong end of a numbers game, White Sox saying, hey, we need somebody to play right field. We think guaranteed right field can maybe boost his numbers a little bit and we can use him for now. But if he has like a monster first half or really looks like somebody who can be a positive contributor on a platoon side for, you know, any kind of contender, like trade him, like see if we can finally put our ballpark to use in a way we haven't before because, Gavin Sheets is like the same kind of guy, like can elevate the ball to right field. Uh, but, um, you know, the, a lot of his contact is ordinary or unimpressive. That kind of, um, you know, just lessens the impact from those fly balls that go over the fence, except Fraley is a true right fielder and plays it pretty well. Um, the one thing I think would drive me nuts about Fraley is like going back to Andrew Benintendi. It's just like, there are a lot of players who are just like, can do what Andrew Benintendi does for a whole lot cheaper going winter to winter, except the White Sox just struggle so much with finding true outfielders that Benintendi looked uh, enviable. So yeah, it's, uh, so I, I think Fraley, like it's uh tough to picture him as like the, the big gets or the big immediate help, uh, with Stewart. I like, you know, where you're coming from in terms of like his, his youth, his command of the strike zone, the power. One question I have about him is if he's first base only, and if so, are you falling into the trap where the White Sox fell into where they just pursue plate discipline to the detriment of actually having guys who can fill out the roster? I think the one benefit would be like by the time he gets to be major league ready, like 22, 23, like three years from now, where you can like maybe start penciling them in. Like, is Andrew Vaughn still around? Yeah. You know, Eloy is probably a memory by then. So they might have a point where like uh, they can use more masher profiles who can only play first base but i think like i'm still like a little bit allergic to that thinking of just the white Sox like having no other ideas for plate discipline so they just get like draft zach collins and believe me he can catch or draft andrew vaughn who's a five foot ten first baseman third over or you know in the top five uh yeah just that that's what i think what makes me a little bit apprehensive about this package but i like the players individually let's move over to the new york mets so for the mets they don't have a lot to offer but the idea that I have, so Ron Acuna's little brother, is, it's, is it Luis Angel Acuna? I think so. I've not heard it pronounced, but that would be my guess is just yeah. uh, take the two names as they're normally pronounced and pronounce them together. Yeah. So Luis Angel Acuna, Ron's little brother, the Mets acquired him from the Max Scherzer trade. Drew Gilbert, which the Mets acquired from the Houston Astros of the Justin Verlander trade. And then Jesus Baez, which is just a third base in the Mets system. But the get here would be Gilbert and Acuna. And here you go. Super athletic position players. 
And Acuna is a shortstop, but he's going to be blocked by Francisco Lindor for the time being in Queens. I don't know what the Mets are going to do with Jeff McNeil at second base. Maybe they want to move McNeil, but I just don't see anyone buying that. And maybe you just have Acuna move over to second base or you move Acuna out of position and maybe put him into center field and try to leverage that type of athleticism, which is something the White Sox could easily do. And Drew Gilbert, I know the White Sox were on his radar as they were going up to draft day and the Houston Astros ended up drafting Drew Gilbert. And this is someone that can spell time in center field, but I think plays better in a corner long-term. And again, these are two profiles in Gilbert and Acuna that Josh Barfield and Chris Getz would go after in the future. But I just don't see the Mets trading the prospects that they just acquired in the trade deadline for Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer and flip them for Dylan C. So I'm most shaky out of all my hypotheticals in this one, Jim. But what do you think about if the Mets did offer this to Chris Getz, would this be tough to say no? So would the transitive trade then be trading Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander for Dylan Cease? Pretty much. Like as the, yeah, if you eliminate the common factors, like that's a weird trade to think about. Like, (laughs) well, I guess it's, I guess it's Verlander and Scherzer and a ton of money for Dylan Cease. So it's not just that, you know, because when you put it that way, just Scherzer from Verlander, like, no, that feels like a terrible trade. And then you realize that they send a ton of money too. They basically bought some prospects yeah, I think I would like Gilbert more, and you know him better than I do in terms of like, you know, you followed him and wrote him up during the draft and you kind of have an idea of just, you know, where he's been since then. But if you don't feel like he could play center, I think that's what makes me like a little bit apprehensive is like, he's like kind of a tweener for a corner. Like, could be good. It could be a case of like, um, if your center field is providing power, then your right fielder only needs to be on base and play defense, and the power can be like meh and be okay with it. Kind of like with uh, you know Andrew Benintendi was when he was at the Red Sox, and like yeah, well if you have Mookie Betts out there, then you can have a left fielder who maybe only hits 15 homers because you have another outfielder who's doing a whole lot more, and now you can just start focusing on skills. But I think you know if you're looking to move Dylan Cease, you are looking for that real I think plus contributor in some regard and I think for like Gilbert I just and I think Acuna is further away like I don't exactly know what they look like in their final form that can have me thinking like I guess Acuna uh, brings speed and and there's that and and you know that's certainly good but like when I don't know his position it's like I, I just wanted I, I think for that kind of deal I'd want somebody who I have a better idea of like where is he going to be on the roster two or three years from now and and what position does he solve versus like what positions might he solve if these things click and that is a good question and with gilbert i mean he is undersized that's why i he's five nine 195 pounds mm-hmm. and you don't have to be tall to play center field you don't but when you're comparing gilbert to luis robert obviously there's there's a gap now, I think Gilbert could spell time in center field, but if you're looking for an everyday starting spot, I, I think it's going to be in the corners. And last year, Gilbert did hit 18 homers across uh, a couple of levels. Of course, he was in double-A with Houston before being traded over to the Mets, in which he landed in double-A and caught on fire for the Beanhampton. It's uh, the, the Rumble Ponies now, I believe. Rumble is there. Ponies, yep. 
where he hit six homers in 35 games, and he hit 325, the 423 slugging percentage, and slugged 561. So that's a 984 OPS, and that's why he's getting a lot of attention for Queens because he raked in double A. Uh, could he do that for the White Sox system? And again, behind Oscar Colas, or maybe this is an outfielder that challenges Oscar Colas. That's why I identified Drew Gilbert. But Gilbert and Acuna are the Mets' top two prospects. So based on the conversation that we had, there's some questions. The Mets have a lot to do as far as rebuilding their farm system. They know that. That's why they spent so much money to try to make the team best team possible at the major league level, and they're kind of in transition. That's why I feel the weakest with the Mets. I think Gilbert, the one thing that makes me a little bit wary of his power projection is looking at his numbers. He got a head start last year with uh, starting the season in Asheville. He hit six homers in 21 games, but in Asheville, right field is like 280 feet away. So basically any left fielder or any left-handed hitter who hits the ball in the air to right field gets a huge power boost. So he slugged 686 there. And really any college hitter who can elevate the ball to right field should. Right. And then finally, the Baltimore Orioles. What I came up with, right fielder Heston Kershed, shortstop Joey Ortiz, left-handed pitcher D.L. Hall. All three of these guys played in the major leagues last year. Kershed, not a lot of time, just a few games, but he hit two homers. Joey Ortiz struggled when he spelled some time in the major leagues. And D.L. Hall was used primarily in the bullpen for the Baltimore Orioles, but he was a starting pitcher in the minor leagues, D.L. Hall would compete for a starting gig in the rotation for the White Sox. I think based on his talent, he would be able to win his spot. And I have no problem taking Heston Kirstad and making him the starting right fielder for the 2024 Chicago White Sox. And Joey Ortiz is there in case if somebody gets hurt, probably when somebody gets hurt. And you can plug and play. And if you like Joey Ortiz, if he does well in his second stint in the major leagues and he could stick at shortstop, then you have the flexibility of moving Colson Montgomery around. Out of all the possible trade packages, I think the White Sox, based on their needs, can get them best addressed from the Baltimore Orioles. I just don't know if the Orioles are interested in moving any of their top prospects for anybody at the moment as they want to really hoard as far as their prospect depth. And I don't blame them because we all know how important depth is. But what do you think about that hypothetical trade with the Baltimore Orioles for Dylan Cease, Jim? They've made the most sense all along just because it's hard to see like where Ortiz plays. And I think you know, part of it's he's 25. Uh, so like his uh, the White Sox would be buying low. And if he, you know, if he's somebody who has to capitalize on his physical skill set to get the most out of it, like his middle infield potential, because he doesn't do anything like, you know, he's not a big power guy, although he hit some, you know, a couple years ago, not a huge on base guy, kind of like a well-rounded skills type player. Like you would hope to see that click earlier rather than later to get that value out of him. So like, I think it does require somebody like Kerstad to make Ortiz seem more appealing versus like Ortiz being like a centerpiece of a deal. But you know, you can mix and match a whole bunch of guys. Like uh, I think beyond Kerstad, like Colton Kowser also like, where does he quite fit in? They have Jordan Westberg who's like up, but also like, you know, if, if it's a case of like Jackson holiday coming up, like where does he play? Like they have some guys that can shift around based on like between third base, uh, you know, based on the left side of the infield and a couple outfield spots to where like, 
the Orioles might have to move guys just to because of 40 man roster concerns or because of like um, if they don't want to spend, if, if John Angelos is going to prevent them from adding that starter, they we think they should uh, be able to afford, whether it's like somebody like uh, Carlos Rodon last year or John Jordan Montgomery this year. Like Cease would be like the natural, like here's a guy who's going to be relatively cheap for two years. Go nuts. Have him lead the rotation, make some postseason starts uh, for guys you won't be really using. So it's made sense. And it would seem like, you know, that, you know, Hall is not quite the top of his stock and Ortiz is not quite the top of his stock. Kerstad's closer uh, to the top of his, you know, maybe you know, pretty close to it. It makes sense on paper. Like I think Orioles fans might be like, ah, it's too much for Dylan Cease, but it's also like uh, need for need, pretty good. And you just hope that I think if you're the White Sox, between all the teams that can use pitching and all the teams that have like something to give up in the good prospect and buy low cost prospect combo, that you'd be able to drive up the price enough to where like the Orioles might feel compelled to pony up because they've seemed uh, really reluctant to deal from their prospect depth and re, uh, reluctant to spend money. But at some point, you would think that uh, just because of numbers, whether it's because of uh, guys they can afford or guys they can't play be simply because there's nowhere to put them, that uh, something would have to give. Yeah, so when it comes to best deals for the White Sox by power rankings for these five teams, one is Baltimore. I think the White Sox get the best possible return from the Orioles. Two is the Dodgers. Three is the Reds. Four, I have the Mets, and then five, I have the Braves because it just be, again, to your point, it'd be like eight, nine players you have acquired from the Braves this offseason, and it's so many pitchers. Uh, when you still have questions about, <laughs> you'd still need to figure out what you're doing in right field, even if you traded Dylan Cease to the Atlanta Braves. Like, you still wouldn't know what you're doing in that position, and if this is the best trade piece that you've got, I think you, I'm with you, Jim. You got to find someone that could help play right field in 2023 and the Orioles, the Dodgers and the Rats, And to a point, I think the Mets as well, they can. So that's why I have the power rankings. And I'm sure based on which teams are most desperate, probably the Dodgers, the Braves, <laughs> the Reds, uh, the Mets, and the Orioles, so the team that would be the best fit for the White Sox at a Dylan Cease trade, I feel like is fifth out of being the most desperate to trade for someone like Dylan Cease. But let us know what you think about my hypotheticals. Again, there's been so many hypotheticals already on SoxMachine.com with the outstanding offseason plan projects that you guys have made. Really enjoyed that. But this is just what I was thinking of. And maybe we'll see a trade for Dylan Cease and what the end result would be. But those are kind of the players that I identified out of these five possible teams. We'll finish the show with another player that could possibly be traded this week or in the upcoming weeks, and that's Eloy Jimenez. And Jim, you wrote about this on SoxMachine.com, citing the very well thought out uh, column from Nick Deeds on MLB trade rumors regarding Eloy. And what Nick Deeds did was identify the following teams in a possible best fit for Eloy Jimenez. And that was the Arizona Diamondbacks, which they could use more power. I think that was pretty evident in the World Series against Texas. The Seattle Mariners, which we know Seattle loves to trade. In the Miami Marlins, as the Marlins might be losing Jorge Soler to free agency, and they could use someone to replace Soler's bat as the DH. For out of these three teams, like I don't know how Jimenez helps Arizona. Sure, hypothetically, it should be power, but 
what Mike Deeds identified as like one player was like Jake McCarthy, mm-hmm. who's a right fielder. And I feel like, go ahead. If that's a straight swap, Jake McCarthy for Eloy Jimenez. You know what that trade is? It's trading Carlos Lee for Scott Pesednik before the 2005 season. However, this is poor man Carlos <laughs> Lee and Eloy Jimenez and poor man Scott Pesednik and Jake McCarthy. It's what should be a slugging guy and what should be a speedster defensive outfielder. But neither of these guys, I, I mean, McCarthy's never played more than 100 games in his major league career. And we know with Eloy Jimenez, he'll do something to prevent himself from playing 100 games. I wouldn't mind that type of swap. Like, I would feel confident that McCarthy defensively would start in right field. I'm sure, despite my best arguments, because he can run fast, Pedro Grafal would bat him leadoff for the White Sox lineup. With what the White Sox are looking for or hoping to add on the position player front, I could see Jake McCarthy being a target. And if that were to be proposed, Jim, I wouldn't hate it. What What are your thoughts about Eloy's trade market? Well, McCarthy would be the kind of player who fits in with like the Paul DeYoung, Nicky Lopez plan of just putting the best possible defensive lineup out there because not much of a center fielder, but right fielder definitely, you know, looks like across all metrics, a plus right fielder uh, does everything well in that regard. He is lefty. So maybe you get a little bit of a boost uh, from uh, guaranteed right field in the slightest possible way. Although looking at his splits, like pretty even down the line there. So you wouldn't want to count on that. It'd really be a defense first deal, a turn the page on Eloy deal and, I'm not quite sure I'm there yet with Jimenez and being like, got to get rid of him at all costs. Like part of me can't tell like how much of this is tough love and, you know, trying to figure out like new, new administration, I guess new, not, not, I guess from the front office view, Pedro Griffol still around, but like, um, yeah, it's going to be a new field clubhouse. going to be a new set of priorities going to be gets putting a stamp on the team is he going to give up on the sake of Jimenez just for cutting some money and turning the page? Or to me, it makes more sense. I think you can do that with Jimenez at any time. Like you could trade him at the deadline for a player of moderate success at the deadline. Uh And yeah, I think McCarthy, somebody like him would be available if a team really wanted to take their chance at unlocking what the White Sox can't with Jimenez. So that's why I'm not like excited about this deal. I'd rather see the White Sox hold on to Jimenez for half a season, try to get like a good half and then sell him when his uh, value is higher than try to get somebody who just plugs a hole in the current roster. So that's, I think, where I'm at now with Jimenez. I do like the idea, though, of just those three teams, like the Mariners after swinging and missing with A.J. Pollock. Uh, going back to the White Sox to solve their DH situation and, you know, maybe getting the same kind of, uh, you know, problems <laughs> that the White Sox got with Pollock, you know, the same problems the men follow him from Chicago to Seattle. The other one with Marlins, like after how successful Jake Berger was with them, like it'd be funny if the uh, Marlins uh, you just trade nothing for Eloy Jimenez and all of a sudden like he looks like the guy he was supposed to be or he looks like a an accurate Jorge Soler replacement uh DHing most of the time so that's I think those two teams uh kind of caught my attention for that regards of like both teams going back to the well for better or for worse but I think for the White Sox like I don't want to see 
a deal, unless like Jimenez is like more of a cancer than we thought. To me, I think he's just somebody who goes with the flow. And if the flow is bad, then he goes with that and just, um, you know, he can fall into bad habits. And, um, you know, perhaps he does need just a more policed, unified clubhouse in order to like hold up his end of the deal when it comes to either effort, his ability to tough their injuries or, you know, the ability to, um, you know, stay in the lineup for basically, um, you know, more than a month at a time. So uh, I, I'm, I want to know what uh, Chris Getz has in mind, whether it's just we're threatening him in a way he's never been threatened before because nothing else is getting through, or we truly are done with him because we think even if we're selling for 80 cents on the dollar now, you know, I wrote about it. Like he just might depreciate like a car. Like he's never gaining value <laughs> the longer you have him. It's just more like, well, if you traded him in uh, last year, he'd get uh, $10,000. Trading him in a year later, you're getting 8500 So uh, plan for that sliding scale accordingly because his price is only going up in terms of salary. And if he can't get past his injury-prone, overly ground ball-prone, swings at pitches he can't damage profile, then like, yeah, it's just going to be more of the same. Eloy is getting paid $12.5 million this year. If you go with this hypothetical, Jake McCarthy is pre-arb still, and there's four more years of team control. So I don't know if Arizona would be willing to move Jake McCarthy, but if they were, this would be, we have to cut payroll. (laughs) And Eloy is the easiest $12.5 million that we can move off of the paper. Yeah. Like in this hypothetical trades that we're talking about here, I mean, this is 21 plus million dollars that the White Sox would be unloading. And they're at 119 million right now with a hypothetical projected 26 man roster. Depending on what they get back, you would be talking about a team at a hundred million dollars for payroll. Are they going to add to that? Again, there's what we think the White Sox should be doing if they want to contend this year. And what they could be doing. And I think what they could be doing is different than what we think they should be doing, Jim. And what they could be doing is slashing as much payroll as possible. Psych. We're not going to get signed in 2024. Unless Kenta made is the big free agent signing for the division to come (laughs) full circle. And nobody really improves in the division. Then it's, why not? Why not us? And you can win the AL Central with 74 wins. (laughs) Uh, it's basically the, the forecast. Um, I didn't realize Jake McCarthy went to Virginia. So I guess that makes him like the poor man's rich man's Adam Hazley. Oh, yeah. like left-handed outfielder who doesn't hit for power, but was drafted in the first round because of top of the order slash defensive skills, except McCarthy's defensive skills actually held up. Whereas like Hazley just kind of lost his, uh, lost his mojo a few years ago at the Phillies never quite gained it back. Yeah. We'll see what happens this week, but that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. And again, if there is breaking news, we'll have emergency podcasts. And of course, we'll be covering the news on SoxMachine.com. So definitely check out the work there. You can follow us on social media wherever we are at social media. And we're everywhere now at Sox Machine. You can follow me there as well at Sox Machine underscore Josh. If you just discovered the Sox Machine Podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple Music. We also upload our podcasts 
into our YouTube channel, which you can describe at youtube.com slash Sox Machine. If you enjoy our work and you want more, you can get more by becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash Sox Machine, where our Patreon supporters get exclusive content, they get ad-free versions of both the podcast and website, and when we have special events like our curling event this upcoming February 2024, our Patreon members are able to join. And Jim, I think the deadline is today to let you know. Yes, uh, I'll be making plans accordingly based on the feedback I got through today. I posted a, a reminder on Patreon uh, when I sent out the P.O. Socks prompt for our members of our three uh, war tearing up. So, uh, yeah, if you've been on the fence or been uh, getting around to filling out the form and expressing your interest, please do so so I can make sure that I include everybody who wants to get involved. Yes. So, again, you can sign up for as little as $2 a month at patreon.com slash Socks Machine. The Socks Machine podcast is a production of SocksMachine.com. You're on for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching. Mm-hmm.